Hambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Malave Beleva, lenders and borrowers. Pedek Shiva Osir, chapter 17. In this chapter, we're going to learn when promissory notes are good, when they're not good, what happens if the lender dies, what happens if the borrower dies. The heirs take the position of the lender, take the position of the borrower. They don't take the position of the lender. They don't take the position of the borrower. The note is collectible. The note is not collectible, etc. Aleph, mal If the lender dies, what happens when a lender dies? Anything owed to him is assumed by his estate. You owe somebody money and he dies. You owe his children money. You owe his estate money. So the heirs, they get themselves organized, they come along, and they demand payment. This document, this promissory note has never been paid. The Yomar, the borrower, says, Uh-uh, I remember, I paid your father. The heir says, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I have no idea. Or as we say in French, je ne sais pas. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is that the heir of the lender has a valid promissory note. We say to him, rise up and pay. Because the promissory note is a promissory note. Omar, what if the borrower says, I'll pay. But let him take an oath. Is there any oath that the heir of the lender could take? Yes. And here the Rambam says, We make him hold the holy object like a Torah oath. And this is what he says, We swear that our father never instructed us. Through a middleman. Our father never told us with his own mouth. That this was paid. And as we inspected all the documents of our father, we found nothing. In his documents, we found no receipt that this is paid. That's the oath that the heirs could take. And he collects. That's if the lender dies, his heirs go and collect from the borrower. What if What if the borrower dies? After the lender died, and that after is important. First the lender dies, then the borrower dies. So what happens now? The estate comes to collect from the estate. And the heir of the, of the lender comes, the para to be paid from the heir of the borrower. Again, an oath is necessary. What kind of oath could be taken? And we say to the lender, first take the oath outlined above. That our father told us nothing. Our father didn't instruct us directly or indirectly that this was paid. We found no documents that this is paid. That's clearly an oath that the lender could take as mentioned in paragraph 1. Even if the heir was a baby in a cradle when his father died or when 
the person he inherited died, it makes no difference. He's not taking an oath stating anything but what he doesn't know. He says, I am not aware. Go ahead, go for it. However, what if the lender made a declaration, as he was dying? He says, listen, my ears, I want you to know this was never paid. <coughs> this, the words of a dying man are taken very seriously. Let the heir be paid without an oath. Even from an heir of the borrower. Now the plot thickens. Tricky, tricky. What if the borrower dies first? And then and only then does the lender die. In this case, the heirs of the lender do not take from the heirs of the borrower anything. Why? Just because the lender died first? Just because the borrower died first? That's the scenario here in three. The borrower dies first. And then the lender dies. The lender, the, the heirs of the lender get nothing. Why? The Rambam explains, at the moment that the borrower died, we learned earlier that if somebody is trying to collect money from heirs of a borrower, he must take an oath. Because we are protecting, we the courts, are protecting the heirs, the orphans. And then and only then could he take him as Shabiano, as we explained earlier. This was clearly stated earlier. And he died. So therefore, the only way the lender could collect is if he takes an oath. All right. So let the le- but the lender died. Dead man, dead man can't take oaths. But let the heir of the lender take an oath. No. A person cannot bequeath the obligation of, a law, of, an, of an oath to his children. What are his children going to swear? What are they going to say? <coughs> they cannot take an oath. They are the lender. They can't take an oath that their father was not repaid. So therefore... Because of a technicality, they get nothing. Only because the borrower died and we're dealing with orphans. And halacha requires an oath. But what if the judge made a mistake? Because this is actually an unresolved debate in the Talmud. Or it's resolved, but there's a serious debate. So the judge made a mistake. The was chayven and erroneously collected their debt. Being that there is... Dispute in the Talmud, in the other, we don't forcibly reverse it. Therefore, practically speaking, a promissory note of orphans, which is presented for payment, from orphans, orphans from orphans, where the borrower died first, kicking an obligation to the lender to take an oath, which he can't now take because he's dead. 
And Kedah and say, here, we don't tear it. We don't destroy it. And Magma and say, we don't collect. We don't collect, as we said. A person cannot bequeath the obligation or privilege of taking an oath to his children. <coughs> as we explained. And the process requires an oath because the borrower is now represented by orphans. You also don't destroy it. Maybe a judge will erroneously decide <coughs> that it's good and take the money out. We just said we don't reverse it. Even in the case where, again, Heirs are trying to collect from heirs because the borrower and the lender both died. And there was a co-signer. There was a guarantor. But in the case where the borrower died first, we don't even allow the heirs of the lender to collect from the guarantor. Why not? The guarantor is alive. Because if we say we can go collect from the guarantor, what do you think the guarantor is going to do? It's going to go right to the heirs of the borrower. So again, the heirs of the borrower are getting hit and nobody can take an oath here. The Rambam says this is a very unique and special law. You don't take a lesson from this law to any similar law. There's no extrapolation involved. Instead, when a person who impairs the legal power of a promissory note and dies, even though he has to take an oath, his children can take an oath. Because this is a unique halacha which we don't carry over to anything else. Which oath should he take? The same oath we enumerated in paragraphs 1 and 2. Shalayb kdono Abba, that our father never told us this was paid. He never commanded us. We didn't find any documents that this is paid. And they collect the balance of this document from the borrower or from his heirs. Why? Because this was a different scenario. The different scenario was that somebody, because of what he says, disqualifies his promissory note. It's different. One is not extrapolated from or to, or to the other. Vav 6, Yedish, an heir comes to collect from an heir. An estate from an estate. And the heirs of the Borrowers say, our father told us clearly, we want you to know, I never borrowed this. Never happened. Is that good or bad? The answer is, it's very bad. The heirs of the lender, Gavin, can collect without an oath. Why? The heirs of the borrower just said, our father told us you should know I never borrowed. Here comes a very important principle, an axiomatic law. Because anyone who makes a declaration and says, I never took this loan, one thing for sure they're saying, we don't know if they took the loan or not, but one thing we know, what they are also saying is they never repaid it. Because if you say you never took it, then you never repaid it. Now, we don't know if you took it or not, because maybe you're lying, but one thing we know right now, you never repaid it. 
So therefore, there's not even a question as to whether this loan was repaid. So that's a troubling statement. And it puts the heirs of the borrower in a very bad position. Even, no oath is required. So also the lender comes to collect from the heirs of the borrower, when they said, our father told us, we never, I never borrowed this. You collect without an oath. Even if there is a stipulation, which we learned earlier, that the borrower had put into the document of credibility. If I say I've repaid, I've repaid. Because anyone who says I never borrowed, surely he never repaid. Very important principle, which gets a lot of people into trouble. When the heir comes to collect from the borrower, using a document that has a stipulation that the borrower could always say, I repaid and he should be believed. As the borrower can take a rabbinic oath, that he repaid it, and he can be exempted. Why? Because that's what the note says, that he has credibility. Even though he didn't write, you're also believed for the heirs, the same thing. That's what it was all about. That whenever I say I paid, I should be believed. That was the stipulation of this loan. We learned this earlier. And if it was stipulated that he should be believed without an oath, no oath is necessary, even to the heirs of the lender. And we said earlier, the Torah is very sympathetic to the heirs of the lender. They're orphans. Yeah, but this note gives the borrower credibility. Because it stipulates, if I say I paid, you're going to believe me. Ches, Yiddish cotton, shayishtar A minor heir possesses a promissory note owed to his father. And after his father dies, they produced a receipt that says it was paid. You don't rip the note. You don't collect. Until the orphans are of majority age. Because we don't know if this receipt is authentic or not. Perhaps it is a forgery. And that's why the borrower never produced it in his lifetime. So we're really suspicious of this note. The closing law of this chapter 9 deals with what currency was this loan made in? What currency does it have to be repaid in? What if a promissory note has no date? What if it has a wrong date? The bottom line is, is that none of the laws that deal with capital punishment and the meticulous demands of notes and documents and cross-examinations, none of that applies to financial law. There's a more liberal acceptance. If somebody produces a promissory note on someone else, meaning he owes, by your cost of the bubble and the origin, the place of origin, most promissory notes begin with the place of origin. Encino, California. By your cost of the bubble, and it was written in Babylon, and that's all it says. It doesn't say what currency. 
You assume a note written in Babylon deals with Babylonian currency. You collect with Babylonian currency. But if the note was written in Israel, which in Talmudic times were the two primary places of residence of the Jewish people, you have the larger community in Babylon and the smaller elitist community in Jerusalem, and so on. So it says Babylon, Babylonian currency is paid. written in Israel, then Israeli currency is paid. The law is not. So in the case of Aksuba, in the case of Aksuba, we do not give the woman the benefit of the doubt. A woman's position in the collection of Aksuba is not as good as a creditor. So she would not collect from the better currency. What if the note didn't mention any locale? If it was produced in Babylon, then it's collected in Babylonian currency. If it was produced in Israel, then the collection should happen in Israeli currency. What if he comes to collect from the place of the loan origination? The note is true, but I owe a lesser currency. Being that it's the place of origination that he's claiming, the lender swears and collects. What if it just says money? Then the borrower is given the option. From here we learn that any promissory note that does not have a location written on it, is fine. You don't need a location. You just have the borrower has the option to pay any currency he wants. I mean, any rational currency, either Babylonian or Israeli. You know, something would be similar in our world if a note says dollars. Well, what does dollars mean? Does it mean American, U.S. dollars? Does it mean Canadian dollars? Does it mean Euro dollars? Does it mean Hong Kong dollars? Lots of dollars. Obviously, if it says New York, then it's U.S. dollars. If it says Toronto, then it's Canadian dollars. The place of origin. But, you know, th th this is the way we can reinterpret in our times. The same applies to a promissory note that's undated. Which is kosher. Even though you can ask a question, how could an undated document have any validity? You can never disqualify the witnesses by saying, how can you have signed this on this and this date and this and this place when you were with us in Las Vegas? The answer is that only applies to capital and criminal issues. We don't have this level of inquisitive questions and cross-examination as there is in criminal. Why? Remember, our sages were always very cautious that the doors should not slam in the face of borrowers. Our sages wanted borrowings to go on. Therefore, we always help the lender end of chapter 17.